Welcome to the Southern Cowboy Podcast. I'm J.B. Farrell. Having been involved in the horse and cowboy world most of my life, I've been fortunate to meet some really cool people with some great stories to tell. And now I want to bring those stories to you. I started this podcast wanting to tell the stories of the cowboys and cowgirls having an impact on the Western world right here in the South. While the majority of the cowboy world is focused out West, I wanted to shine a spotlight on our neck of the woods. So pour a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's get into it. The Southern Cowboy Podcast is brought to you by Panther Creek Ranch, where we play, learn, and grow. Panther Creek Ranch encompasses nearly 4,000 acres in North Mississippi and boasts a multidisciplinary equestrian stables, summer camp, working cattle operation, a diverse farm education program, and a new equine therapy center. Just 30 minutes from metropolitan Memphis, Panther Creek is your respite to return to your love for horses, the outdoors, and the land. Come see us and experience a taste of Big Sky Country right here in the Mid-South. Email info at panthercreekstables.com or call 662-912-5440 today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Cowboy Podcast. I've got my friend Mackenzie Hunter in with us today. Mackenzie is a born and raised Mississippi cowgirl. Her and I both went to college at Mississippi State together, both in the animal science department and after graduation, she went to work in the feedlots out in the panhandle of Texas. She's now out in Oklahoma, where she is the owner of AeroM Performance Horses and Cattle Company. She's got some really nice horses and raising and selling some delicious beef. We have a lot of great stuff to get into, and I'm excited about our conversation. Mackenzie, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, JB. So I'm glad we were able to get together and do this in person while you were in town for a few weeks. Uh, you know, we've done some of these over Zoom and online, and it's always easier when we can sit and do it in person. So glad you're able to be here. Uh, so I want to dive right into your time out in Texas and being a Mississippi cowgirl. What was it like going to work for a big feedlot out there? Not only as someone not from that area, but especially as a female in the, in the industry. Do you want the long answer or the short answer? We, you can give me the, let's go with the long <laughs> answer. We got time. Well, I'm going to tell you the short answer. It's dry and dusty okay. and windy as all get out. Okay. Um, <laughs> coming from Mississippi where, you know, you get 52 inches of rain a year, going to, you know, less than 10 inches of rain a year is a big difference. Um, as far as being a woman in the feedlot... You know, those guys are pretty good. They treated me just about like they would treat you. Um, when I was there, I worked for JBS Five Rivers. I was there for, oh, heck, I don't even know, probably right at three and a half, four years. Um, I was hired on as a manager trainee in the cattle department. And what I did from there was, you know, basically anything and everything to do with the cattle. Um, I started out on the doctoring crew where, you know, our cowboys are pen riders. They would check pens every day looking for six, anything that might be crippled, anything that just might need a little bit of TLC, and they would take them to the hospitals for us to doctor. Um, we had the label of doctor, but that did not mean that we were vets. So that's one thing that I do want to, you know, touch on. We had a, um company vet and we worked underneath him and we would go through you know different types of protocols and stuff like that like if you know an animal has pneumonia sick that kind of a thing versus something that might have like intestinal issues or you know bloating issues or might be crippled or whatever um so anyways yeah I was I was in the 
on the doctoring crew for a little bit. And then after that, I went on to shipping and receiving. And that's where the fun happens. Um, you get to ship and receive cattle day in and day out. Some days, you know, we may have one cattle pot show up, but then some days you may have 1,500 heads show up. Those (laughs) days are wild. Um, You know, you're constantly unloading cattle, getting them to receiving pens, getting them on hay and water, um, and just making sure that those cattle get off the truck, that they're happy, healthy, and comfortable. That's your main concern right, right off the bat. Um, then you let them rest for 24 to 48 hours or whatever, and then they go through processing. Um, processing has to do with, obviously, herd health. Explain processing. You're not processing cattle as in getting them in and getting them situated, not... Not for meat Not purposes. for meat purposes, yes. correct. Yes. So let, let's take a step back for just a quick second and really explain... So many of our listeners, you know, you and I take for granted our knowledge of the industry and coming from an ag background, what a feedlot is while we have it. But so many people have their own preconceived notions of what a feedlot is and why it exists. So mm-hmm. take a minute just to really explain what a feedlot is and right. why we have it. So, you know, the feed yard exists to feed the world's population. And what the feed yard does is it utilizes things from other areas of food production to provide food or beef for the world population, essentially. So take, for instance, um, people like to drink beer. People like to eat cereal. Um, The byproducts of drinking beer and eating cereal go to the feed yard that's called dried distillered grains right so what essentially what the feed yard does is it brings in cattle from all over the country they upcycle protein from you know resources that are not utilized by humans that cannot be metabolized and broken down etc etc by humans put into a feed ration and then that cattle the cattle break down the feed and gain weight and then essentially turn it into beef. So people have this whole entire picture in their head where it's like, oh, well, you know, Bessie's, you know, in a dry light, et cetera, et cetera. I'm here to tell you that that's the life of luxury. All they have to do is go to the feed bunk and put their head in the feed trough and eat until their little heart is content. And then they go and they lay down and they ruminate and then, you know, have the life of luxury. And and that's what I think so many people struggle with, you know, when they're out in that part of the country where we have a bunch of feedlots. Is there somebody might drive by one and see thousands of cattle Mm -hmm. just in these dry lots? And they think, God, that's horrible. And there's so many people. I've had to clarify to people, no, they do not spend their entire lives there. They think that, you know, they're born there, they live there, and that's, that's it. That, no, they're spending a a short period of time here, and it's Mm -hmm. to get them to where we need for harvest and so that we can feed this country. Right. So the feed yard segment is a very, very small segment of actual beef cattle production. You have everything from your cow-calf operation, which is prominent here in the southeast, um, you know, because you go to West Texas and you're 
one pair per 30 to 45 acres. Right. Here in the southeast, you're one pair per acre, acre and a half. Um, and sometimes even more if you do intense rotational grazing and you've got a really good fertilizing program, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, then after that, um, some guys take their, you know, weaned calves and go on and do yearling stalkers, but sometimes they take them and they sell them and they go to a stalker program where those people put on max gains in a very short amount of time on grass. Um, so then after that, they sometimes, well, I guess it just depends on where you're at, but sometimes if they don't go to a stalker operation, then they go to a grower operation, which is, you know, grass traps where they are on feed and they kind of have the best of both worlds. Um, unlimited supply of feed plus, you know, get to go soak their feet in the pond and lay under the shade tree. Well, after all of that said and done, then they go to the feed yard. Um, the feed yard, honestly, you take an animal harvest time, probably 18 to 24 months old, and they're going to only be at the feed yard from 90 days to probably about 120 to 180, depending on the condition of the animal when they come in. But the number one job of the feed yard is to upcycle byproducts from all other industries you know, breweries, cereal companies, um, heck, even like Hershey's, you know, candy factories and all that. Um, take them, even the ethanol industry too. Don't want to forget that because, you know, that's a big thing is going right. green right now. Right. Um, and people need to understand that the corn that powers your vehicle, the ethanol in your cars, that we can't eat that. So then what do you do with all the leftover corn? Right. What are you going to do? Burn it? Throw it away? Dump it in a landfill? No, you feed these cattle and let them utilize it so that they can go and feed your family later, you know? So, um, anyways, long story even longer, <laughs> the, the feedlot industry is just a very short period of time. It is, there is nothing bad about it. There is nothing, you know, unnatural all that kind of stuff. Those animals are designed to eat and to put on weight so that they can feed you. That's what they're here for. Right. So let's get back to more of your time there. Mm -hmm. uh, how much time were you spending horseback? Did you have horses there with you of your own? Yeah. Let, talk, let's talk about some of that. Um, typically, a feed yard, when you go hire on, you get a horse allowance kind of a deal. Um, I was allowed to have three horses. I only ever had two because I was not horseback 24-7, 365 like a lot of the pen riders were. Um, I would fill in for those guys when people would be off sick or on vacation or whatever. Um, I used my horses a lot in receiving to take back and forth from the receiving pens to the processing barn, that kind of a thing. Um, and the way that horse deal works is Typically, you're allotted two or three horses. Some feed yards are different. Um, they'll feed and vet your horse and shoe your horse for you. So basically, you get to have a horse there, and it doesn't cost you money to be able to ride your horse. And all you're doing is adding value to that horse. Exactly. You're adding value to your horse. Um, you're getting them used to all sorts of things. Rattle paddles, mm -hmm. whips, flags, 
screaming, yelling, jumping, um, cattle that are wild. Because sometimes you get cattle in the feed yard that have never seen a human other than the time they got on the trailer to get there. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you get your horses ran over, ran under, bumped into, all sorts of stuff. And that's why, like, feed yard horses make the best, like, granny broke trail riding horses. Because they have seen it all, they have done it all, and, you know, nothing can really rattle them. But, uh, yeah, so typically if you're just a regular pen rider and that's all you do, you're going to be horseback from the time you get there in the morning until the time you go home at night. Um, sometimes, depending on kind of what the schedule for the feed yard is, you may have to ship fat cattle at 12 o'clock in the morning so that you can get the process and plant where they actually harvest the animal, um, get them started, and then... Sometimes you don't have to be there until daylight, you know. Um, so, and you're there until the job is done. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is a Southern Cowboy podcast, and that is the motto every cowboy lives by is you are there until the job is done. It, it, it's it's not sun up to sundown. It's right, right. Can until can't or mm-hmm. till it's done. And, yep. Uh, um, now for the horses typically um those jobs are hard it's it'll take a toll on a horse in a heartbeat right especially in the heat of the summer or in the dead middle of winter you know um i have been horseback and it has been negative 30 degrees and the winds blowing 45 miles an hour and there is an inch or five inches of ice across you know the pins and stuff and you're just trying to open gates to get to the next pin and your horse slip and fall down and that kind of stuff and it's nothing that like you do wrong or your horse does wrong but it's just kind of the environment then you're beating concrete all day too you know um the pins are dirt but alleyways are gravel and feed alleys are concrete you know so like your horse has to go through a lot of different terrain for a lot of hours um you're talking about you talk about riding in that kind of weather and stuff i mean that's you know so many times we're like thank a farmer thank a rancher you know Mm -hmm. for for what it takes to get food to the table Mm -hmm. and we understand it but so many times we feel like it does get lost that people Mm -hmm. don't truly appreciate what people go through to get that food to the store, to get it to your plate. Right. Uh, the, the, there's been some long hours and hard days put in to get it there. Right. And you have these animal rights acti- activists that want to show the one-off time of something happening and something going wrong. And they, you know, only show a clip of the actual situation. And in all reality, I really do think that the majority of your, you know, cowboys and cattle cattlemen, cattlewomen, um, they care more about those animals than, you know, really and truly most people. For sure. And so when it's blowing snow sideways or it's the dead middle of summer and you're out there digging up lines, water lines, and you're about to have a heat stroke, but all you can think about is getting water to that animal or all you can think about is getting, you know, hay to that animal because you know in a snowstorm, hay is going to keep them warm. You know, and so you put yourself at risk to make sure that that animal is taken care of out in the elements. Yep. You know, and I think a lot of that is lost because 
you know, all they see is like this short clips and the snippets of what, you know, the bad things are, but really and truly like the majority of cattlemen and cattlewomen, cowboys, cow gals, like they just, they care more about their stock than they do most people, you know, so. Back back to the horses, Uh, you know, we talk about it so much within our industry of you will never replace a horse. I don't care how technologically advanced we get, what you come up with, especially working somewhere like the feed yard, you can't replace what a horse can do to get that job done as efficiently as possible. Right, right. So it's funny because, (laughs) I don't know, have you ever been to Oklahoma City National Stockyard? I I have not. So if you're ever out that way, you need to take the time to go and see. they have horses that they use to push cattle up and down the alleys, but they also have uh, like little three wheelers. And I haven't seen like three wheelers since the nineties. Yeah, you know no, what that I mean. Is, that is. <laughs> but they have little flags on them, and when the weather gets bad or it's too hot or whatever, because again, that is hard on your horse. And when you're horseback for hours on end, you can swap out horses two and three times a day. But still, tough weather is tough weather, and it takes a toll on your horse just like it does on you. So those folks, they'll they'll get on those three-wheelers to push cattle up and down the alleys, which is good because, I mean, it saves your horse, and it saves you from having to, you know, pedal your horse right. <laughs> down an alley because eventually it's like your horse is, you know, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, not wanting to go, and you're pedaling, and you're like, goodness, like, we need more gas. But anyway, so, uh, but at, in the end really and truly horses cannot be replaced you know and on the feed yard the one that I specifically worked at we would have on average 72,000 head and our pens would be you know 100 to 250 head pens well you have a sick calf and a pen you're not gonna go cut it out on a (laughs) three-wheeler or one of those little robotic remote control things that you see on Facebook. It's just not going to happen. Haven't. No, uh-uh. Um, but that's just where a good hand and a good horse come into play, you know. You've got a tiny little gate that you've got to push that one sick calf through, and it's up to your job. It's your job and up to you to make sure that the one gets through there and you're not, you know, getting everybody else in the pen riled up and going – crazy bouncing off the fences and stuff so that's why a horse is just so important because at the end of the day it's not only about the horse but it's about the safety and well-being of the cattle that you're pushing out you know so well let's so you said you're there what four or five what was it three four years three and a half four years Yeah. yeah uh so what then led you to ending up out in Oklahoma where you are now oh, with, with your business. <laughs> so that was divine intervention, honestly. <clears throat> um, when I was at the feed yard, I'd also had bought a horse boarding facility, and that was kind of my side gig um, while I was out there. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it was a God thing. For sure. And God was like, look, Mac, You have other things you need to be accomplishing, and you're not listening to me, so (laughs) I'm going to kick you in the rear, and I'm going to make it happen. So, 
I had a guy that had worked for me at the feed yard, um, and we had kept touch, you know, him and his family for, I don't know, since he had left, and it had been probably over the course of three or four years, and he had moved to Oklahoma to live closer to his in-laws. Um, they were buying a grower yard, and he asked me to move out there to run this grower yard for them. Well, he was also a horse trainer, and so I helped him with social media marketing, um, just being, like, I never rode horses for him um, or any of his clients, but I did clean stalls, I did take sales photos, I did, you know, social media marketing, that kind of thing. I would, and I also got to, like, follow him around with my show horses and be able to be on the road showing my horses as well. Well, some things just happened between him and his family and, you know, just kind of things that just happen. It's just life. And I quit working for him and I was like, man, what am I going to do now? So I ended up finding a little place um, not far from where I was. And it is a perfect little turnkey operation. Like my house and my all my outbuildings sit in the center of it, and I've got my land around it. And anyways, um, I had the horse deal going, you know, selling and whatnot. And it just hit me kind of when the COVID thing happened. I guess I was like, well, I've got all these cows. Like, why am I not? finishing them out like that's what my background is that's what my degree is in that's what like all you know all the things so I did it for myself first and I did it for a couple of friends that had asked me to do it for them because they just saw the prices of beef going up going up going up and I was like well you know if I can do it for myself and for my friends why don't I do it for the public because what's different for our deal versus going and buying from the grocery store is not only are you buying 100% American made product like it is born here raised here finished here all of that um you're also cutting out a lot of the middlemen in the big packers so like when you go buy from sam's sam's club walmart kroger all of that um you're also paying the salary of the truck driver you're paying the fuel and shipping you're paying you know the guys that are you know processing and packaging that meat you're paying all these other salaries and insurances and 401ks and all that so of course the price of meat's going to be more where it's just me and Patrick right. and Quincy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, so like buying from us, you're gonna just as a ballpark estimate. Buying from us, you buy a whole cow, you're gonna be spending thirty five hundred dollars, depending on what you want. It can be less or it could be a little bit more, or whatever. But if you go buy from Sam's or Walmart or Kroger, you're looking at a six thousand dollar animal. Yeah. You know you. Almost double it because you're having so many other hands in the mix. And the quality of product you're getting. And uh, I think you talked about this when you and I were talking the other day. The If you're buying ground beef. Yes. For, talk about that. First of all, where, where it's coming from, then the number of different DNAs that yes. can be in that product. Yes. So depending on the packer. You know, you've got JBS, you've got Cargill, um, and several other ones that we won't get into. But 
doesn't really matter, I don't guess. But you've got several of the main packers, and they may harvest 200 to 1,000 animals a day, okay? And that means that on the back side of that, they're processing just as many. So when the animal comes in and is harvested, they're hung for 10 days, depending... 10 days minimum, I should say. And then most of the time, upwards of 21 to 28 days. Well, on the back side of that, after all that's done, you're processing, processing and packaging. Well, all the trimmings go into a vat, and then from that day, and then get grounded to hamburger. So it's not like at a local processor where it's like, okay, we're processing this one cow today, and this cow goes with this client, so we're going to grind this cow's hamburger and package it that way. Instead, it's like, you know, gets thrown in and ground up, and it may be one animal, it may be a thousand animals in that one package of hamburger. <laughs> like I, I think that is astonishing <laughs> to folks. that yeah. They have no idea when they're going and picking mm-hmm. up a, you know, pound of ground beef at the store that mm-hmm. that's really what you're getting well and two it's not just that it's also the fact that you're also buying water um i would have to look it up to be 100 percent certain but there is a certain percentage of water that is available or not available but allowed to be in your hamburger to make it fluffier to make it pinker to make it more eye appealing that's why when you buy a ranch raised hamburger Like, I've had people say, oh, well, this is, you know, it looks like deer meat. Well, yeah, because it's not full of water, you know. Like, and it's not necessarily a dark cutter, because I know that some people would be like, well, maybe that animal was stressed or something. No, it's because that hamburger comes from that one animal, and there is nothing else in it besides hamburger and part of, you know, fat. So, anyways. So, uh, We'll go back just to your business specifically. And you saw the need for it. You saw that you could be doing it. Uh, You're getting a lot of the cattle from Mississippi, from your dad, Mm -hmm. correct? Yes. And then carrying them back to Oklahoma. Yes. So that's how we kind of keep it local to DeSoto County. Um, I also do Oklahoma cattle as well. Um, I don't want there to be any kind of like misconception there. I do have Mississippi and I do have Oklahoma cattle. Um, my dad, he has a bunch of calves turned out on grass right now, actually, that will be going to Oklahoma soon. And those calves are what will come back to DeSoto County. Um, so people ask why, why do you do that? That's a lot of hauling. The thing that sets us apart from other ranch raised farm raised producers beef producers in DeSoto County Tate County you know North Mississippi I should say is we want to do it and we want to do it right and there's a reason why feed yards are not east of the Mississippi okay humidity and heat are a huge factor when finishing out cattle and I always tell people the common consumer you try to go gain 600 pounds in the Mississippi August heat and see if you don't die of a heat stroke. Yeah. Like, that's just kind of yeah. how, like, that's just fact of the matter. So, um, what I do is I take dad's calves back to Oklahoma and they get put on feed and they get finished out. 
and then depending on the animal they may be there 90 days they may be there 120 days and then they come back as and they're sold as halves and holes and we do our little beef deal and it kind of keeps it local to Hernando but it also is done the right way you know do you see yourself having more customers in this area or back in Oklahoma? I definitely have more customers in this area. Okay. Um, and the reason being is, you know, Oklahoma, it, Oklahoma has a lot of beef cattle producers, and a lot of people do what I do. Um, and it's because that environment is more conducive to finishing cattle. Um, people ask, well, aren't you worried about you know competition and that kind of thing and I'm like no 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 like I want every cattle rancher that there is to be finishing out their own beef and selling directly to you know people in town that don't have the ability to raise their own beef um so it's more competitive in Oklahoma however I like it like I want it to be competitive for sure and so I do, so I do have more clients in DeSoto County, but it's because there's, you know, not a whole lot here that's offered. Right. You know. Um, so much of the trend now is people wanting to know where their food comes from, wanting to eat healthy, mm-hmm. uh, and the farm to table, buying directly from producers is becoming a much more popular thing. But people, like I said, are wanting to know where their food comes from, educate themselves. But I still feel like there's so much knowledge that they're not grasping and gaining from truly the products that they're that they're buying. Right, so many right. people are getting caught up in grass fed mm-hmm. or you know grass fed grain finished, right. purely grass fed. Talk about some of those differences and explain just the antibiotic free hormone free get into some of that 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 to try to educate the public on really what they're they're looking at so the way this whole deal has been set up in years past is it's very very misleading and there's a lot of gray area and that's kind of what happens when (laughs) like i hate to say it this way but it's kind of what happens when people um, that are not directly involved in beef and beef cattle raising. <laughs> like, that's kind of what, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Like, that's just what happens. You know, they try, they're thinking marketing and they're thinking dollar. They're not thinking the blunt, honest truth, right? Right. And so, when you buy organic, there are so many different things that go into being organic that may not actually really be organic. You know what I mean? So, in fact, I can say this. I have known feed yards in the past that um, do organic fertilizer to dairies. And then the, they take this organic fertilizer or manure that come out of the lagoon, and then they go spread it on a wheat field, and then those dairy cows who organic milkers coming from... Right. Um go and graze on so tell me as you know a fellow cattleman how all the runoff out of the lagoon 
you know, the oil from your, that leaks from your truck, like all that kind of stuff. How is that actually organic? You know what I mean? Right. And so like another misconception is everybody wants grass fed beef. Well, guess what? All beef is grass-fed. Right. That's... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what else to tell you. Like They're not out here eating chicken nuggets. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, you know, they may be eating Fruit Loops or, you know, like a Hershey's candy bar that didn't make the grade or whatever, but, like, they're also out there eating grass and silage and wheatage and, you know, any kind of forage that you can think of. Um, Now... There is a difference between grass finished and grain finished. Um, that's you know kind of a, turned into a big niche market lately. Um, one thing that I will say is you have got to have the right taste buds and the right program to eat grass finished. Grass finished is not for everybody. Um, in my honest opinion, I would just much rather go harvest a deer yep. <laughs> than have grass-finished beef. Um, and it's not its not that it's bad or anything like that. It's just not my preference. Um, one thing that you can tell between grass-finished versus grain-finished is grass-finished typically has a yellow hue to the fat. If it's been, you know, properly grass-finished. Right. Grass-finished is a whole entire science and typically... Um, that animal is going to be older when it's ready to harvest than what, you know, a grain finished animal is going to be. So you've got all sorts of factors that go into that where it's like, you know, the hardening of the connective tissue and the maturing of the animal, all that. So like people get a grass finished beef and they're like, well, it's a little tougher. Well, the animal was also a lot older when it was harvested than, you know, grain finished. Um, that being said, grain finished is not bad. It is not bad for you. And we're starting to see a huge shift in the industry right now and in like the medical community that kind of overflows into the beef industry, I guess, is, you know, for forever we heard red meat's bad, red meat's bad, red meat's bad. Well, now you're starting to see, no, not not really. It's really not bad for you. You know, it's one of the most sustainable forms of protein and vitamins and minerals. You know, you take a filet or a ribeye or whatever, you have more nutrients per pound of beef than what you do well, per pound well, of kale or whatever. Look at or look at the 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 non meat industry, the impossible burger and mm-hmm. stuff like that. If you look at the number of ingredients that go into something like that to mimic beef mm-hmm. and you're going to tell me, hey, this is a better option for you. We've concocted this in a lab with all these ingredients mm-hmm. over this cow that we've processed and harvested mm-hmm. and know exactly where it came from, everything that's been mm-hmm. put into that cow. Mm-hmm. You tell me which one's healthier, which one's better for you. Right, exactly. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, grain grain finished doesn't, that's not a bad thing at all. You know, it helps you get a younger animal, and it helps with basically harvest efficiency. Like, you can put an animal through a feed program quicker and be able to produce the amount of beef that's required to feed this country. Well, the, and that's it. The, if we were trying to get to a point where everything was grass-finished, 
the length of time it would take, the land, that much more land we would need to do so. Absolutely. And that's that's one thing, no matter how great we get, we're not producing more land. What land is here is what we got to work with. Exactly. And so the feed yard really, really, really helps utilize smaller amounts of land and different product byproducts to, you know, feed the country. Um, another common misconception is, you know, feed yard cattle, commercially raised cattle are full of hormones, steroids, and <laughs> antibiotics. They're not. False. Yeah. <laughs> Fact check that. So um, <laughs> every animal that is harvested has to go through a withdrawal period. Okay. Um, that being said, <clears throat> medication is metabolized by what? The liver. Right. So, say I go and Bessie over here has pneumonia, okay? And just like your child, you would not just let your child sit there and suffer with pneumonia and say, get better or, you know, the latter. Right, yes. The, the worst. The, the either get better or the other option. <laughs> uh, and so, you go and you give them, you know, whatever your vet prescribes. And you doctor that animal. Well, so every medicine has a withdrawal period. And that withdrawal period is only in the animal's body. Or not, let me rephrase that. So that medicine is only in that animal's body for the length of the withdrawal period. Um, that being said, you can go and you can take a sample of that animal and after the withdrawal period has been, you know, over and they will not test positive at all. They will, you cannot find not one trace of antibiotic or whatever you've given that animal in that animal system. Um, there are stringent protocols put into place to make sure that no animal that is harvested comes up, quote, hot or has an animal or an antibiotic in their system, okay? Um, every animal that is doctored, and it, like I said again, it does not matter what medicine it is, whatever, it is not to leave that feed yard, it is not to leave that cattle producer, it's not to leave wherever until that withdrawal period is over, okay? So then, say, for instance, something happens and we're all human, mistakes happen, right? right? And that animal does get into the the slaughterhouse, okay? There is a USDA inspector there inspecting every single carcass. They take samples of said carcass. And if anything comes back hot, meaning it's got antibiotics in its system per the muscle sample that's taken, then guess what? That whole entire day's production is bought by whoever owned that that hot animal, and all of that meat is discarded. So guess what? That is a huge incentive to make sure nothing gets put into the food supply that has any kind of antibiotic in it. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, 
you talk about a thousand head of cows, fat cattle, hanging on a rail, that is a lot of money for just one day for someone to make one small mistake, you know. Um, that being said, the same goes for hormones. Um, some cattle producers, they do use implants to help feed efficiency and gains. Um, that being said, those do not affect the meat quality. They, in fact, actually they do affect the meat quality. It makes it better. (laughs) But (laughs) as far as going and testing that carcass, you're not going to be able to say, oh yeah, that animal had, you know, whatever kind of implant in their system. And I don't know if you want to use that or not as part of your podcast, (laughs) but like, um... Yeah, I, I, I don't know how how else to say that, where it would be not used against us. <laughs> I think so much of the, the antibiotic-free, that kind of thing, a lot of it is, we talked about earlier, just the marketing side mm-hmm. of things of, hey, we're yeah. going to use all these things to help promote our product. Mm-hmm. And you're like, it it's that across the board. There's nothing yep. special about your right. product. I mean, I'll approach it from a different way. The the Angus industry did such a good job of marketing mm-hmm. Angus cattle. Yeah, Absolutely. Whether, whether you're at McDonald's or wherever mm-hmm. and try our Black Angus burger. Right. You can't tell me the difference between an Angus steak and a Hereford steak. Well, and you'll talk to those old timers and they'll say, pull the hide off of them. Yeah. Once you pull the hide off of them, they're the same color. Exactly. It's marketing. Yep. It is, and to be certified Angus beef, I think you only have to be like 51% black and you have to be English-based. Yeah. So, (laughs) my Holstein out here, well, not really a Holstein because they're not English. I mean, I guess they technically are, but they're not beef. Right. But I could have like a Dexter, for instance. They're black. Yeah. And they can pass as a certified Angus beef. Right. Um, Simmental's, uh, limousines. If they're black, that can be certified Angus beef. So long as it's fifty-one percent black and it's English, no, you know, no ear, no dewlap, no navel, that right. kind of thing, you know. So, anyways, it's a it was a good marketing strategy for the Angus deal. Um, they made a lot of money off of it, but at the same time, there's tons of gray area that goes along with it. So, my whole deal for the common consumer is don't get caught up in paying extra for what you think is, you know, going to be better. Right. Okay, you've now educated folks. People are like, okay, I want to get away from the grocery store. I want to start mm-hmm. buying directly from a producer. Right. W- what does that look like? How, how can, wh- if they want to come directly to you, what, what, what are they looking at on pricing, options? What have you got for okay. them? So, um, basically, <clears throat> and it's going to be, it's going to vary between producers um and if it's not me what i would do is i would do a facebook search if you want to get directly involved with somebody there's also you know somebody local but there's also a facebook group um i want to say it's like u.s marketing i don't know it's an actual beef page but it's kind of evolved over the last two years into beef pork and lamb um and chicken as well Um, But anyways, I would say if it's not me and it's somebody else, make sure you get on Facebook, do a quick search or maybe even a Google search and try to find somebody in your area if that's what you want. 
for us um, specifically, I get a lot of phone calls and messages um, asking kind of like, how does this whole process work? Because, you know, we're from town. We don't really know what our options are. And it's very overwhelming, you know, so can you explain it? Well, what we do is that animal, you put a deposit down on it. So you own it before it ever goes to the processing facility. Um, and it is $4.75 per pound plus processing. Um, depending on where I have that animal processed, my um, Mississippi processor he, they're both state certified, the ones that I use for halves and holes. Um, they're both state certified, but one processor doesn't offer everything that the other processor offers. So your processing can vary greatly depending on who you use. Um, for instance, my Mississippi processor, he does just straight across the board fresh beef, no value added. Okay, so you're looking at your processing being a $50 harvest fee plus, um, I want to say it's like 65 cents per pound or 60 cents per pound processing. Um, and that's vacuum sealed, yada, yada, yada. Um, our other processor, he does the beef patties and he does beer and cheddar patties, jalapeno cheddar patties, beef sticks, this, that, and the other. So you're going to be, if you want any of those products, you're going to be looking at spending more money. Right. So it's harder for us to be like, oh yeah, this is your straight processing fee. It really depends on what you want and what's good for your family. Um, because this thing is 100% customizable. In fact, I've had people buy from me before that are like, well, we don't eat roasts, so we don't want the roast. <laughs> I'm like, well, your whole cow comes with a roast. Like, yeah, that's just part that's, of that's it. Part of the package. <laughs> yeah. So what are my options? And I'm like, well, you can have all your roasts ground into ground, ground beef if that's what Jeez. you want. Or you can have, <laughs> you know, um, beef sticks made into it or, you know, just all these different yeah. options. I've also had avid hunters come and say, well... We want to buy a cow, but we're also going to hunt this winter. So those clients, I'm like, well, do you make deer sausage? Because I'm huge into homesteading and yeah. knows to tell use of the animal. Like, I don't want any part Anything of the animal. Waste. Right. So those people, I'm like, well, you need to keep your fat. Because you can grind your fat with your deer and make really, really good deer sausage. Perfect. You know? Um, your, your hamburgers, they can be 85, 15. They can be 90-10. Like, it, it's totally up to you. Steaks can be an inch thick. You can do an inch and a quarter or three quarters of an inch. It doesn't matter. But one of the biggest things is um, people don't understand how much meat you actually get. Yeah. And so they just think, <laughs> oh, a half, of, a half or a whole cow is just, you know, hamburgers and steaks. And so one time I had a lady that was kind of upset because <laughs> she was like, well, I only got eight tenderloins in my half. And I'm like, well, that's all that comes in a half. Yeah. You know? And she was like, well, I just don't understand. And I was like, well, that's why whenever you go to the grocery store, a tenderloin is, you know, 20 to $25 a pound. Right. You know? Because it's a very, very, very small part of the animal. You're getting and a pretty good deal on it here. And look what else you're getting <laughs> yeah, with it. Absolutely. Which that goes into my next thing is when you buy directly from 
a producer, you're looking at probably, I'm not, I don't want to speak for everybody, but for me, you're looking at between a six and seven dollar a pound average for everything. Yeah. That's including your tenderloins, your ribeyes, you know. Yeah, when you think of buying steaks at mm-hmm. seven, eight dollars a pound, you can't beat that. Exactly. Period. Exactly. And now, even just hamburger, right now, hamburger is ninety ten hamburger at Kroger the other day was almost ten dollars a pound. Yes. So, you know, it, you it, come out ahead if you like to eat beef. This mm-hmm. it's the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but so one of the things when you and I got together the other day, you were one of the reasons you're in town mm-hmm. is you had some beef and you had an mm-hmm. open house set up. Yep, yep. Where folks were able to come out to your place or your dad's place and yep. right outside Hernando mm-hmm. and come try and sample some different things. You had steaks, burgers, and I've tried. You sent me home with some burgers and steaks. Yeah, how and did you like that? Fantastic. They were delicious. <laughs> right. So. Highly recommend it. Thank you. Uh, but if you're considering going this route before you then just commit to half a cow, or and one of the other options people can do, go in on it with somebody. It doesn't Absolutely. mean you, doesn't mean it's your family has to buy half a cow. Mm-hmm. Each by a quarter or split or split a quarter with somebody. <laughs> yeah, so that's another thing that I get asked all the time is like, can we just buy a quarter? And I'm like, no, no, you cannot. And the reason being is so the front quarter is different from yes, the back quarter. Yes, yes. And so, like, they're like, "Well, I want an arm roast." Well, <laughs> I'm sorry, but there's only like, you know, there's only right. so much. And so, I always tell everybody, if you want just a quarter of a cow, purchase it with a half with somebody else, and y'all and then, can fight amongst uh, yourselves. Yeah, then, then you... Because at some point, someone gets gypped somewhere. Yes. And so, like, you got to be okay with okay if there's like nine ribeyes someone's getting one more ribeye yeah. than somebody else you know what i mean so like i don't want that it's not that i don't want that to come back on me yeah. but at the same time like i would just much rather them figure it out amongst themselves that way i know that they're happy and they you know get what they want right but but there are options that if you're uh-huh. looking going i'm not going to eat this much mm-hmm. meat but i want this much going yeah. on it with somebody absolutely and, and but before you Jump and make that purchase. They could come see you when you do one of these open uh-huh. houses Absolutely. and come try some different cuts, try some mm-hmm. different things. And like, well, and, I, and the whole thing is it's a huge investment yes. for something that you may or may not like. And I'm not saying that, you know, all ranch raised beef is the same way, but some people like it and some people don't. I've had one girl purchase it from me, and she's like, well, this cut is fantastic, but this cut's different from the store and from what we're used to. And I'm like, well, you know, that's part of it being ranch-raised, you know. Um, And I've had had several local people here in Hernando buy, I want to say they're on, like, their fourth beef in, like, two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, because they just can't get enough. Well, that that speaks highly for it. Oh. And repeat business is thank you is the best you can have to speak for your product. Thank you, but yeah. Um, so with that being said, it's for some people and it's not for some people. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so come out, get you a sample, and try it before you make that investment. Then on the flip side too, you have people who just no matter how much they save and try, they just can't afford it or they just may not have the freezer space available or whatever the situation may be. So we try to do it this way as well for those people who, you know, can't drop 
2500 for a half of a beef or, you know, 3500 or whatever for a whole, you know. But we try to make it available for everybody. Yeah. Um, we're looking at future goals as well. Um, and one of the things that we're, we're working with our processor on right now, and it's been a whole long drawn out process um, because the government takes their sweet, sweet time. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, he and I are looking at doing nationwide shipping. Okay. So that's going to be another option, hopefully soon. We were looking at a March date, but it's going to be pushed back a little bit, I guess. But um, nationwide shipping, you know, like people have seen advertisements for like the Butcher Box. Yeah. Um, but that's not local and that's not homegrown right. or a lot of times not American, you know. So... Um, we're looking at doing something like that so people can say, okay, well, you know, this, this month our special is X, Y, and Z, and this is what comes in your box. And for X amount of dollars, and it's 20 pounds of beef or whatever, or we're going to also be doing pork as well. Um, and they can purchase it that way, and then they don't have to worry about dropping this huge amount of money on, you know, this massive amount of beef and then all of a sudden you know what do I have to do with it I've also had people come and be like well we don't know what to do with this cut what do we do how do we do you know like a round roast for instance because it's different from a chuck roast chuck roast you throw it in a crock pot round roast put it on the smoker and make sandwiches out of it so like a lot of people just have to get through that mental hiccup of only using what they're familiar with because a cow or, you know, a side of beef doesn't come with just what you're familiar with. It comes with all these different things. And so you kind of have to go outside your comfort zone. So offering those boxes, offering the open open house, you're able to try more of the nose-to-tail products without being fully committed. You know what I mean? Um, like I put a post out on Facebook the other day about Chuck Eye steak. Yeah. Cowboy tenderloin. Yeah. You know, it's a quote cheaper cut of meat, but in my opinion, it's just as good as the fat ring around ribeye. You know, like. Yeah. So people, you know, I think I had, I, when I made that post, I thought I hadn't sold any, but I really did sell one to one lady. She hadn't tried it yet. She said she'd let me know whenever she did try it, but um, you know. People were like, Chuck I steak, like what in the world? When really they just didn't know what they're missing out on. Yeah. You know, you marinate it or season it up just like you would a ribeye or a T-bone or whatever. You throw it on the grill and it's just as good and just as tender as anything else, you know? So, anyways. So, Facebook, you mentioned, is that going to be the best way for people to get in touch with you, find out yes. what you got going on? Yes. We're also building a website. Um but the website's not going to go live until we are offering our butcher boxes. Okay. Um, and doing the specials. Um, so right now, just find me on Facebook. I'm pretty much all over Facebook. <laughs> so Arrowm Cattle Company. Yes, and, and then... I have two different two different Facebook pages: Arrowm Cattle Company and then Arrowm Performance Horses. I will, I will, we will touch on that. <laughs> I do want to say you have. Once again, going back to educating the public, you had to separate the two Facebook pages, (laughs) correct? I did. Oh, my goodness. So, like, I had two Southern 
bless their heart. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had two different people ask if I was selling horse meat. And I was like, no, no, I'm nope. not. Horses and cattle ranching go hand in hand, but we do not eat our horses. So <laughs> I separated them in hopes of trying to mitigate some of that confusion. Um, and it has worked thus far. So. Still, still the same business, but different Facebook pages. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. So for the people who have followed my original page, which would be the Arrow and Cattle Company page, formerly known as Performance Horses and Cattle Company. Right. Um, they have made the swap over to the Performance Horse page as well. So okay. if you're into horses and cattle both, follow both pages. But if you're just looking to buy beef, just the cattle, the cattle company. company. And yeah. I try to, to like not only do educational bits and pieces, but I also try to, um, you know, just kind of let people yeah. know what's going on around the farm because so many people are out of touch with where their food comes from. Yep. And so I want people, like I did a series, I don't, not last year, but the year before last, and I'm like feeding and like what we personally feed and how we feed it and how much we feed. And then also show that, you know, our cattle are non-confinement, meaning they're never dry lotted, but they do have access to feed and they do ha have access to grass and they do have access to go, you know, soak their feet in the pond and all that kind of yeah. stuff and lay under the shade tree, but... Anyways, I just try to do that so that people who enjoy farm life but aren't fortunate enough to live that lifestyle can kind of just follow along. Well, that's great. I mean, we've talked about it before. Social media has some negative aspects to it, but the positive aspects to really educate folks, connect people, mm -hmm. there's a lot of great things about it. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll definitely put a link to both Facebook pages in the show notes so folks can just, once they're listening to the podcast, scroll down a little bit and click right on it and, and check you out and all that you got going on. Thank you. Well, we appreciate your time yeah. and thank you for coming in. Hopefully this educates some folks and mm -hmm. encourages them first off to eat more beef and that helps us all out, but hopefully buying directly from a, from a producer, whether that be you or they find someone more local to their area and and Absolutely. whatever fills their need. Absolutely. And if anybody that listens to this podcast has any questions, comments, concerns, just have them reach out to me and I'll do my best to help. You know, even if they need help finding somebody local to their area, because I know this is the Southern Cowboy podcast. And so it may not just be North Mississippi. They may be in Alabama or Georgia exactly. or Florida or whatever. And typically, you know, all of us producers, we kind of, not if we don't know somebody directly, we know how to get into contact with somebody. Right. You know. So if they reach out and need help, just holler at me and let me know. Perfect. Well I've enjoyed it again.